Right. Well, for those of you that are thoroughly confused this morning, we do something a little different here on Daylight Savings Time. Uh, we start an hour late, and so we give you the opportunity to keep that hour. Um, well, not really, because you lose it after service, but um, following service today, so that, uh, you know, because the restaurants are past their lunchtime, because we'll be here till 1230, uh, we are serving soup and sandwiches. You can stay for a free will offering. And then those of you that are regular members or partners here, we, our annual business meeting follows that at about 1.30. And so we encourage you to stay for that as well. And so we have been, and some of you are like, we didn't sing yet. I know, it's, it's totally okay. Um, just follow along. Um, we've been in a series called Who Lives in You? And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, how he works in our lives. Um, back on February 2nd, Pastor Mark preached a sermon called Best Friends. Uh, this week on our church Facebook page, um, I put a, one of our devotions that we used by Robert Morris on, um, he uses an illustration of a train and being on a train and um, how the Holy Spirit is our best friend and kind of goes along with the message that Mark preached to us and then over the last few weeks, we've looked at John chapter 16, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, who he's going to be in our lives. We've looked at the book of Acts and the different encounters people had with the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts. Um, we describe the experience they've had known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the last time that I shared with you, I talked about my personal testimony. I mean, I grew up in a church that believed this, but I rejected that belief for a long time. And then when I went back and studied the Bible for itself, I found that the Bible actually points to this. And so today, we're going to, in a few moments, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you've got an electronic device, we're going to use the message to read that together. And my hope is we're going to read all of it together. Um, but eventually, we're going to just have to stop because we're not going to make it all the way through. But uh, we're going to use the message. If you don't have a message with you or you don't have an electronic device, that's fine. We're going to put it up on the screen, and you're going to be able to, to follow along there as well. But before we get started in that, I want to share with you a video. And I really wrestled back and forth whether I wanted to show this or not. It's an older video. And it's a study that Nightline, you know the program Nightline, they always study different things and they expose the truth about different things. Well, they studied speaking in tongues uh, a few years back. And uh, I want to show you that video as we get started. Thanks for watching our internet edition of Nightline. I'm Martin Bashir. Today, we examine the Christian practice of speaking in tongues. Those outside the church often say it's nothing more than gibberish. But some Christians claim that it's the purest form of prayer, beyond the constraints of normal language. Nightline's Vicki Mabry reports on the science of speaking in tongues. It is an ancient practice mentioned in the Bible. St. Paul called it speaking in the tongues of angels. Jesus' apostles were first said to do it at Pentecost. The technical term is glossolalia. Most people call it speaking in tongues. There's a vast number of people out there that because they did not personally experience it or have been taught against it all their lives, there's no way they have an ability to embrace it. <clears throat> So that's common. We're still mocked and made fun of. That's not stopping Pastor Jerry Stoltzfus or others in his congregation at the Freedom Valley Worship Center in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, from using what they say is a God-given gift. It's almost as if I'm able to tap into God's heart and what he wants. I get goosebumps, actually. You can feel him all around you, and you can feel him speaking through the words that you're saying. It almost sounds like a foreign language, but actually, those who speak in tongues are not saying anything in any known language. With the gift of tongues, I can trust the Holy Spirit to figure out what needs to be healed. He will use what sounds like gibberish, like any other language sounds like gibberish. Uh, he, he will interpret that for his purposes and his uses. We say things in our own English language, but speaking in tongues is a heavenly language that we're going to God 
and Jesus intercedes for us. They say they have no control over what comes out of their mouths, that they're swept up in a rush of ecstatic religious feeling, and that the Holy Spirit is speaking through them. Do you hear yourself? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I think I sound like a total idiot. It's almost all in yellows and red here. At the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Andrew Newberg is looking for an explanation for what most regard as unexplainable. I mean, it's not language. It's not regular language, at least, that would normally activate the frontal lobe. Newberg is exploring the relationship between faith and science, studying what happens in the brain during the deepest moments of faith. If we're really going to look at this very, very powerful force in human history, of religion and spirituality, I think we really have to take a look at how that affects our brain, what's changing or turning on or turning off in our brain. They're going to go around very fast right now. He's recently published a study of Americans speaking in tongues. Remarkably, he discovered that what's happening to them neurologically looks a lot like what they say is happening to them spiritually. Make sure we got your whole head in there. We asked Pastor Jerry Stoltzfus to come to the university to have his brain scanned while he speaks in tongues. This way, we could see the experiment in action. I don't think faith is anything to be afraid of from science. Science validates faith, so bring it on. Whatever the facts are, bring it on. Just go ahead and, and you can begin prayer. And First, he's told to pray in English. Father, I pray for each of the family members involved in this study. Grant them what they are looking for in their personal lives for their vision and their potential. Then he's told to speak in tongues. This is the first scan when he was in prayer, speaking in English. This is the second scan when he is praying in tongues. Pastor Stoltzfus's scan showed that his frontal lobe, the part of the brain that controls language, was active when he prayed in English, but for the most part it fell quiet when he prayed in tongues. When they're actually engaged in this whole very intense spiritual practice, religious practice for them, their frontal lobes tend to go down in activity, but I think it's very consistent with the kind of experience that they have because they say that they're not in charge. They're, it's the voice of God, it's the spirit of God that's moving through them. Dr. Newberg says the results were even more dramatic on subjects who were scanned without a nightline crew in the room and who were not speaking in tongues on demand as Jerry Stoltzfus had done. Study participants like Donna Morgan first listened to music, then went to where the spirit took them. When I heard about the study, I already knew within my spirit that it was going to be proven that there's a part of our brain that we have no control, that when the Holy Ghost is interceding for us, we're out of control. In earlier studies, Dr. Newberg looked at what happens in the brains of Buddhist monks meditating and Franciscan nuns praying. And it was noticeably different from what happens to tongue speakers. That's in fairly stark contrast to the people who are like the Buddhists and the Franciscan nuns who are in prayer because they're very intensely focused. And in those individuals, the frontal lobes actually increased activity. But Dr. Newberg isn't out to prove or disprove anything. He can tell you what happens in the brain, not why. Were you skeptical going into the studies? If by skeptical, the question is, is this a real phenomenon, meaning that this is truly the voice of God speaking through them, that's a much more problematic question, I think, and something that I'm not sure that we've specifically answered simply by doing our study. But for those who believe, it doesn't matter if science can find the footprints of the Holy Spirit in their 21st century brain scans. When you've experienced this, you don't really care what anybody else thinks. It's personal for, in the first place. It is something between you and God. So we don't really care if it's validated or not, but it's fascinating when it is so that people that have 
thought we're crazy can have something to look at to say maybe we're not we're still crazy we're just not as crazy as they thought thank you so much this is vicki mabry for nightline in philadelphia the gray area where fact meets faith all right so there's a lot in there and we're going to talk about that whole term out of control here in just a minute um the the challenge that I have today is I'm talking to a room of people who some of you have grown up in Pentecostal denominations and have an idea of what tongues is. Um, I grew up in it, but I, when I started studying the scripture, there were things that I was taught growing up that I don't think actually match what the Bible teaches about tongues or uh, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And then um, there are some of you that grew up and you've never heard about this at all. There are some of you that grew up and you heard that this is the devil and that this has nothing to do with today. Um, and so we're going to try to go as far as we can. This is the last week we're going to talk about this, but we've been studying this on Wednesday night. There's a book out on the table um, in the lobby at our Welcome Center, and it's called Something About Living in the Spirit. I didn't write down the title, but we're studying it on Wednesday night. Does anyone remember? Empowered by the Spirit. Is that what it's called? Or, I don't know. It's Empowered by the Spirit. It's checkered. Um, but those are there. If you want to study more, if you want to go back on our website and look at some past sermons that we've preached on this over the last several weeks, or if you want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, uh, there's information out there. And uh, what we're moving on to talking about um, the, the Old Testament, and then we're going to move into uh, the Easter season. And so this will be the last week that we, we talk about this, but I'm going to go as far as I can through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, the message translation, this is where we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The message is not perfect. In fact, it's not really a translation at all. It's actually a paraphrase. And Eugene Peterson, when he wrote it, did not write it with the thought of selling it. He wrote it as a devotional guide for his children. Eugene Peterson is a pastor. He's a New Testament scholar. Um, he has studied for years, and he wanted to pass something on to his kids. Um, people loved it once he did. Then it got into print, um, but he never meant it as a translation. Uh, he meant it as a devotional guide for his kids. But I like some of the ways that things are worded. It might help us think differently about some things that we've maybe thought in the past. So here we go. What I want to talk to you about now is the various ways God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. When Paul writes this letter to the, the Corinthians, we're like, wow, we're really never going to make it. Um, you got to understand, okay, he is not, he is, he's planted this church and now he's moved on. He's gone somewhere else to plant a church. People have contacted him through letters or through word of mouth that there are some problems in the churches that he's planted. So now he's writing letters back to them to address some of the concerns that they have. He's trying to correct some of the things that are wrong. He is not sitting somewhere saying, hey, I got to preach a sermon to the people today, so what should I write to them? Most of his letters are corrective. They're, hey, this thing, or remember what I taught you about this. And so we have to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 through that lens. He's responding to them about how the Holy Spirit gets worked into their lives, about what we commonly call the gifts of the Spirit or the manifestations of the Spirit. What are they about? How are they supposed to work? And so Paul says, that that's why I'm writing to you. This is complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable Remember how you were when you didn't know God, led from one phony God to another, never knowing what you were doing, just doing it because everyone else did it. It's different in this life. God wants to use our intelligence to seek to understand as well as we can. For instance, by using your heads, you know perfectly well that the Spirit of God would never prompt anyone to say, Jesus be damned. Nor would anyone be inclined to say Jesus is master without the insight of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you right off the bat might be like, whoa, I'm offended by that term. The New Testament translators took a lot of stuff that the, the Greek and Hebrew are actually way more, I hate to use the word vulgar, but way more um, eh, like this. And they soften it so that we don't get offended by it. Um, and so, because our culture is just different 
than the culture of the, the Eastern culture where the Bible was written. So uh, they try to soften it for us. But he says, I, literally he's saying, I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be uninformed or I don't want you to be ignorant of the ways of the Spirit, the things that pertain to the Holy Spirit. Now, he says, I want you to use your brain to understand as much as you can. We absolutely need to use our mind to understand. But here's the thing. We serve an incomprehensible God. We serve a God who created us. You will never fully understand all there is to understand about him. There will always be mystery. Yes, use your mind to study and to know as much as you can. But if you think you're going to know everything, your God is not worth following. Because if he's not beyond you, if he's not beyond your ability to figure out, well, then he's not really a God. He's something you've created in your own image. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I want you to understand it. Now, we often refer what's about to happen as the gifts of the Spirit. There is a Greek word called charisma, okay? The word charisma can be translated grace or gifting. It's found in Romans chapter 12 where the Apostle Paul says some of you are teachers, some of you are leaders, some of you have the gift of hospitality, some of you are musically inclined, some of you are able to... to uh, you know, put things together, your secretaries, your filers. Now, he doesn't say all those giftings, but there are giftings that we have that actually are graces of God in our lives. He gives them to us. We use them. See, here's the thing. I don't need the Holy Spirit to be a teacher. It's a gifting that I have. I can teach on subjects. I can make things easily understandable for people. Now, if I want to be more effective, then I'll let the Holy Spirit breathe on that gifting and then my teaching will be more effective. But I could teach anything. I could teach any subject. Well, not any subject. Let's be realistic. I could teach a lot of things, a lot of different subjects. And those are giftings. We possess them. We use them. You use them. The reason that you do your job is because you're gifted in it. Unfortunately, we translate the gifts of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul is going to introduce us to in a moment. We translate those gifts of the Spirit, even though the word charisma never appears with them. Actually, the word that appears is the word pneumakaton. Pneuma is spirit, and then when we add the katon to it, it's the things that pertain to the spirit, things of the spirit, the special abilities of the spirit, what is spiritual. And I don't know, I don't know the New Testament scholars well enough to know why they translated it gifts of the Spirit, maybe to help it be more understandable, but I think in their quest to make it more understandable, they've actually made it harder to understand and more confusing to us. And so when we want to understand these gifts of the Spirit or the manifestations is how I'm going to refer to it, of the Spirit, we've got to remember that this is the word the Apostle Paul uses. Now, in the very next verse, he says... God's various gifts, and that's the word charisma. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, okay? Everywhere, not just in the church, everywhere. Every human being on this planet was created by God, whether they believe it or not. Every ability they have is given by God, whether they recognize it or not. They're given everywhere. There's no limitation. Now, whether they use that gift to glorify God or they let God help them use that gift, I don't know, but they're given out everywhere, but they originate in God's spirit. There are different kinds of ministries, and they're carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. Why Eugene Peterson uses this to translate it as God's spirit, a lot of your Bible translations will say there's a lot of services, but ministries, but there's one Lord over them attributing these services, these ministries, to what we know as the gifts that God gives his church, Jesus gives his church, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, okay? Then he goes on and he says, God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. See, in our Western civilization, our Western mindset, we wanna have these lists, 
We want to know, okay, here's the, the gifts of the Spirit, here's the Lord. I mean, even when we talk about the Trinity, we're like, okay, the Trinity, there's God the Father, His job is to do this, there's God the Son, His job is to do this, and there's God the Spirit, and His job is to do this, and never shall they intertwine. God is not a Western God. And he, if you try to read the scripture that was written with an Eastern thought, because the writers of the Bible were Eastern in their thinking, if you try to understand it all Western, you're going to be confused and you're going to be frustrated. It doesn't all happen in nice, cute lists. I know, that's hard for me. I hate that because I'm a type A list person and I want my list. This is why I rejected the gifts of the Spirit because there, there could be no list. And I didn't like this, you know, intermingling and I'm like, it's not clean enough for me. I need it to be cleaner. I need it to be black and white. I need it to be cut and dried. And Paul, right from the get-go, is trying to tell us that God operates in these different ways. The Son, the Spirit, the Father, they work together. There's acts of power. There's giftings and abilities. There are ministries. There's services. There's positions. And all of these things. Now, remember, he's correcting the manifestations of the Spirit, what pertains to the Spirit. Some people are, we don't know exactly what they're doing, but we can make some inferences based on what he's teaching. And so he's doing a broad stroke to teach on who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works. So then he goes on to say, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Wise counsel. Clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, miraculous acts, proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretations of tongues. Um, all these gifts have a common origin, but all are handed out one by one by the one Spirit of God who decides who gets one what and when. Now, some translations will go back to using the word gifts here. But the word charisma does not show up here. It's again the word pneumakaton. And what's, what Paul is saying to us is the, the manifestation. Because look, right at the beginning of this passage, it shows who God is. Whatever happens needs to show who God is. Manifest. That's the word manifestation. So when we say manifestation of the Spirit, it doesn't mean something weird or crazy. It just means that people realize, I know who God is. I've experienced God. I've encountered God because of the way that we're living our lives. That definition is a clear indication of the existence or presence of a person or thing. To cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly and in some detail. To make known, to make plain, to reveal, to bring to light, to disclose, and revelation. Now, he, he talks about these abilities that the Spirit gives. I do not believe Paul is saying this is the only way the Holy Spirit ever operates. This is an all-inclusive list, and if it's not on this list, it's not the Holy Spirit. He's not doing an exhaustive teaching on how the Holy Spirit works. He's trying to show them that when the Holy Spirit comes, sometimes he gives a, a gift of tongues with an interpretation, meaning he presents a message that you didn't think of before you came into the worship service or into the gathering, okay? A message in tongues with an interpretation or what we'll talk about later, a prophecy, which is one and the same, is not something that you studied in your devotion this week and now you're just going to share it. It's something that you didn't previously think of, but the Holy Spirit says, here, here's something I want you to speak, here's something I want you to show, and I want you to speak it right now. I want you to declare it to everybody, or I want you to go to somebody and tell them. Sometimes it's a gift of healing. Sometimes all of a sudden you get this urge to declare that person to be healed. Not prayer for healing. The Bible calls us to pray for the sick, to pray for people who need to be healed. But there's a moment when the Holy Spirit decides, hey, I want a gift of healing to operate, declare that person healed. Now, if I could have a gift of healing, that I could walk right now up to the hospital and just clear the place out, 
But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul said, I mean, I could go to the hospital right now and pray. That would be clearly in the Bible. Pray for those who are sick, believe that they could be healed, and they could be healed. But I don't get to choose the what and the when. The Holy Spirit chooses the what and the when. And when we start calling these gifts of the Spirit, we think, well, I, I have the gift of the word of knowledge. Meaning, I can like understand things in your life and I can tell you facts about yourself that there's no way I could know except the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Pastor Tom, how come then some people operate in the gifts or what we call the gifts, the manifestations, how do they operate in them so regularly? Well, that's easy. Because what happens is well, the Holy Spirit prompts us, we act on it, and it works. And then we're like, I've got it. But because we know now how that one works, that's what we do all the time. We go to that one, 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 because that's the one I know. I know how that one works. I don't want to go to the other ones. I don't know how they work. The Spirit lives in us, and every one of the manifestations of the Spirit are in us because He's in us. He chooses the what and the when. It's up to us to choose to study, to choose to learn, to choose to practice so that we can do what, when he tells us. Now, there are some people that say, unless you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you can't, you can't operate in any of these other manifestations. I don't know if I agree with that. I've known people that have operated in some of the manifestations of the Spirit that have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I because the Spirit lives in them if they're a believer, and as long as they yield to the Holy Spirit, okay, we have to learn to yield to the Spirit. When the lady in the video says that she's out of control, she has no control over what's happening, I understand what she's saying. She has no control over what words she's speaking, but she has absolute, total control of her tongue. In other words, what the scans show is they're not trying to form what to say, but what's being said has been given to them, but they have to speak it. And some people are waiting for the Holy Spirit to take over your tongue. He's not going to. And Paul's going to show us that later on. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the fullness of the Holy Spirit and learning to speak in other tongues is something that the Holy Spirit does. It's an experience that every believer should seek. We talked about this over the last two weeks. I don't have time to go back to it, but it's something everyone should speak. But I don't think that the manifestations of the Spirit have to be limited just to those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we should all seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come back to this often, but at the beginning of this chapter, the, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking to this church, says, I don't want you to be unaware. You get to decide, I get to decide how aware I'm going to be. I mean, if you think about how much time you spent this week on extracurricular activities or watching Netflix or television or movies or listening to, to music or doing yard work, anything you've done all week long, and how much time have you sought trying to be aware of how the Holy Spirit speaks? Your level of seeking will determine your level of awareness. And if all of your level of awareness is a Sunday service once a week and a 15-minute Bible study, then that will be your level of awareness. I mean, I can present all of the facts and information to you. I can present the Bible to you. We can do everything we can. You version Bible app, read this, do this. Come on, let's do it. But you're in charge of you. And I'm not going to get bent out of shape over whether or not you're going to go after it or not. I'm going after it. And if you want to come with me, I'll take as many of you on the journey as want to come. But you're in charge of you. So then the Apostle Paul goes into this really long discourse about the body. And all he's doing is taking a spiritual principle about the body and saying, okay, the manifestations of the spirit, you guys have exalted them to an unhealthy position and you're using them in a way that is contrary to what God thinks of his body, okay? And so he starts talking about the body of Christ. You can easily see how this kind of things works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. 
by means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to live independently, call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has final say in everything. I'll tell you what, this isn't the gospel we preach in the American church. We preach a gospel, invite Jesus into your heart, kind of live your own life the best you can for him, and when you die, you go to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, if you try to live your life calling your own shots, it will end in death every single time. But God, in his mercy, sent his son to die in our place so that if we believe in his sacrifice, he puts his spirit in us, and his spirit now calls the shots. And we... Hey, if, as long as I go to church, no, it's not about going to church. It's not about even reading your Bible. You can read your Bible and still call your own shots. And the individualistic way that we even do church in America is so foreign to the Scripture. God did not bring us into a body of believers so we could each live our own lives however we want the rest of our lives. He called us to be a connected body of believers day after day. And that makes us uncomfortable in America because we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. I can call my own shots. Well, that's, that's just the Western individualistic thought, and it's not the Scripture. And Paul goes on to say, look, <clears throat> this is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. When you were baptized in water, you said, no, I'm dead to my life. I'm not calling my own shots. I'm raised to a new life. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew, Greek, slave, free, no longer useful. We need something larger and more comprehensive. The Bible says there's no longer male and female. There's no longer black and white. There's no longer color or race or status. There's no longer rich or poor. We are one in the body of Christ. And they believed this so wholeheartedly in the New Testament that they met together daily. They ate together daily. They sold possessions and gave it to people that didn't have enough. They were so integrated. And we have taken what we like from the scripture and we have applied the parts we like to make our, our consciences appeased and so just enough that we hope we get to heaven when we die. And yet God says, I don't want that for you. What I want is to live with you and walk among you and be with you every single day. And when you go to work or when you're at school or when you're at home or when you're in the store, I want to manifest myself to other people that are around you. And I want the manifestations of the Spirit to come out of you everywhere you are so people can look at you and say, I have seen God. And you'll say, it's not me, it's him. That's the life we've been called to live. And too many Pentecostals get the baptism in the Holy Spirit and they have good services and they fall down and they roll around and they get goosebumps and then they go out there and they're jerks. What is that? <coughs> that should have no place in the body of Christ. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. In other words, don't lose your identity. You're, you, if you're afraid, well, if I, if I become a part of the body, then I'm just a part of the body and I'm not important. I'm just insignificant. No, 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 no. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot says, I'm not elegant, like hand embellished with rings, although in our culture today, we've got toe rings, so they're embellished too. I guess I don't belong to the body. Would that make it so? See, for those of you that come and you sit in a service on Sunday morning and you just, you know, I'm just, I'm not that important, I'm not that significant, you're fooling yourself. You're letting yourself be lied to. The Bible says right here that, that you can't say that you're not a part of the body. Every part is necessary. If the ear says, I'm not beautiful like I, limpid and expressive. I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If it was all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has placed every, carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. 
And now, in his analogy, we look at that and we think, oh, I'd never, we'd never think that, that's weird. But that's how we treat each other or treat ourselves in the body of Christ. And when we don't each take the responsibility of diligently learning how the Spirit works, then we fail in our function within the body. Every part is necessary. And it's not just about the manifestations of the Spirit. Because what's happening in Corinth is that the people that are manifesting the Spirit think they're superior to people that aren't. No, you're not. You've just given yourself over to another avenue that the Holy Spirit works, but it doesn't make you more or less significant. But don't let that stop you from gaining more understanding. So then Paul says, I also want you to think of how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. We don't understand this in our Western mindset. My identity in Christ, my personal relationship with Jesus, and all of those things are true, but it's only significant because he's made us a part of his body. And so these people that say, oh, I love Jesus, I just hate the church, false. You don't even know Jesus because you cannot love God if you do not love people, period. Even your enemies, because that's who he is. And so if you claim connection to him and you hate people or you mistreat people, you're not really connected to him. You need to get connected. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you. Or head telling foot, you're fired. Your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower part, the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your body that you're concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? That's a great analogy right there, <laughs> especially for those of us thinning. <laughs> Moving on. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent upon every other part. The parts we mention, the parts we don't, the parts we see, the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. Should be. Should be. We, we, we don't do this well in the American church, but we're, we're getting better. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into that exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic unidimensional part. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. And yet some of you keep competing for so-called important parts. But now I want to lay out a better way for you. And see, Paul is intermingling the different lists that he started at the beginning. The, 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 the apostles and prophets and pastors and healers and prayer in tongues and interpreters of tongues and workers. And he's putting all of these lists, he's jumbling them together. And sometimes that's why we, feel, we're, we get confused because we're like, well, I thought he was just talking about the manifestations of the Spirit. No, he's talking about how God is one. And every part of the Godhead serves each other. 
They minister to each other. They work together to build the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. And we don't have time to read through all of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we call the love chapter, but this is the better way that he's about to explain for them. He says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but a creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power and I reveal all of his mysteries and I make everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain jump and it jumps but I don't love I'm nothing if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr but I don't love I've gotten nowhere so no matter what I say what I believe and what I do I am bankrupt without love Again, he's taking the manifestations of the Spirit, the acts of service, the ministry, the works of God. He's taking all of it, and he says, I don't care what you do. If your motivation, if what's coming out of your heart isn't love, if you're mistreating the other body, body parts, if you're saying, I don't need that part, whether by pushing people away or by refusing to join with other people, you don't know God's love. His whole plan from beginning to end has to be have a people on earth to make him known. That's been his purpose all along. And so he, got, he goes on, he talks about what this love looks like. And you, you know 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you don't, read it. But at the end of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it talks about the things that are going to pass away. And he says that we don't, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see it all clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. He, right before this, has talked about the gifts of healing and knowledge and all of these things that are going to pass away. And there's a teaching out there that says the miracles that we're talking about, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul says right here, they're going to pass away. And the completeness that he's talking about is the Bible. Now that we have the Bible, we don't need the miracles and the speaking in tongues because we have the Bible. This book doesn't get me fully known yet. What gets me fully known is the day I stand before Jesus face to face, the Bible says in that moment you will know fully as you are fully known. There are other passages of Scripture that show us that in the Bible. And if we take Corinthians and we say, we don't need to speak in tongues anymore. We don't need these manifestations of the Spirit because we have the Bible. I think that's incorrect as it's compared with the rest of the Bible. So Paul, after he's talked about love, then he says this, go after a life of love as if your life depended upon it because it does. Give yourselves to the gifts God gives you. Most of all, try to proclaim his truth. Now, I love Eugene Peterson, and I love the message, but I'm going to have to vehemently disagree with his interpretation of this passage right here. Because Paul says, follow the way of love. I've just told you, love is most important. So if your operation of the gifts of the Spirit or the manifestations of the Spirit or giving yourself in any way to God violates love, you're not doing it right. Love is the foundation of everything. Love God, love people, it's the foundation. But then he goes on and says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire. It means to strongly desire, to strive for, and even be jealous for. How many of us could say today, I am so, God, I am so jealous for the manifestations of the Spirit in my life. Not because I want other people to look at me and say, oh, look how spiritual they are, but because I see brokenness all around me and I want you to show up in my workplace. I want you to show up when I'm at the store. I want people who went there to buy bread to find life. That's what's in his heart right now. You want to know what's in God's heart right now? The people who don't know him, the people who are apart from him. Oh yeah, he loves us. He loves us. But there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sheep who returns than 99 righteous who don't need to repent. Is that what's in our heart? So it's easy for us to say, oh well, you know, I don't, I don't need these, these giftings. I don't need these things, but um, I, I'll just serve God the best I can without them. 
That's not good enough. God says, I want you to use everything that I've given you to equip others. And I wish we had all the time in the world to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, but we don't. And there's a couple, a couple scriptures that I want to read to you um, before we have the worship team come back. And the, the Apostle Paul is talking about tongues right here. And he says, so when you pray in your private prayer language, don't hoard the experience for yourself. There is a personal benefit to tongues because Paul says, when you pray in tongues, your spirit prays. It communes with God, okay? And it builds up your faith, okay? That's what happens. In a church worship gathering like this, if you speak in tongues, but you don't give an interpretation so people can understand, it's just crazy because then it's selfish, so we have to make sure that we interpret. And so Paul says, pray for the insight and ability to bring others into that intimacy. Now that can be either in just giving the message in English, known as prophecy, or it can be in interpreting the message in tongues in English so people understand it. He says, what's the solution? Do both. Pray in tongues Pray in your, your English language. Sing in tongues with your spirit. Sing in your English language. Now, I want you to look at the bottom of this. If you give a blessing using your private prayer language, which no one else understands, how can it some outsider who has just shown up and has no idea what's going on say amen? What's interesting is many people, and Paul goes on and says this, if you just keep speaking in tongues in a service like this and people come in from the outside, they're gonna think you're nuts. And a lot of people will tell us, well, tongues always has another English language on, or another language on the earth it's, a, it's understandable to. Just like the day of Pentecost. I mean, all of those people heard the tongues and they heard. If that's true, why does Paul care? Why do the outsiders not understand? Because as Paul says, some of these are angelic languages. They are things that your spirit uses to bypass your brain because our brains sometimes screw it up and we communicate directly with God in some way. And if you're gonna do that in a large gathering, make it understandable for people that are coming in. Don't be crazy. Shame on the Pentecostal church for thinking we have the freedom to just be crazies and do whatever we want at the expense of making it understandable for people that don't understand what's going on. Shame on us. Paul says, stop doing that. The last part of the, the chapter, Paul says, he's kind of summing it up. And he says, so here's what I want you to do. When you gather for worship, each one of you be prepared with something that will be useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. Okay? So Paul says, when you come, what he's in essence saying, when you come to a worship gathering, don't come as a spectator. Come to minister to someone else. If whatever your gifting is, use it to serve others as we come together in this place. But I think there's a distinction between our giftings and the manifestations of the Spirit. Because then he says, if... Prayers are offered in tongues. Two or three is the limit, and then only if someone is present who can interpret what's being said. Otherwise, keep it between yourself and God. And I'm gonna have the worship team come back and get ready to, to lead us in worship. But what I want us to understand right here is you can't prepare a manifestation of the Spirit in advance. You can prepare yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit but you can't at home get a manifestation and bring it with you because you don't know what and when. So it's important for us to prepare ourselves. Now you've got to understand, when they met together as believers in the first century, they didn't limit themselves to an hour and a half. So if y'all want to come here for six hours, I'm game. And everybody brings something that you've read this week and everyone share a testimony and a report. But the manifestations of the Spirit are not testimonies. Testimonies are good. The manifestations of the Spirit are not, hey, I learned this in my Bible study this week and it's been on my heart all day and I'm so excited. Those are appropriate to share in the church. Paul says do it. But the manifestations of the Spirit are those things you didn't prep for. 
And you came and the Holy Spirit said this, boom, and you deliver it. You don't even always understand it fully. You don't know, man, my, my leg has, my knee has hurt so bad since I came in and it's never hurt before. Could it be a gift of healing? Yeah, maybe there's someone here that needs healing in their knee and God wants you to declare healing over that person. That could be a gift of healing. And every personality is so different that the Holy Spirit is gonna speak in a way that you understand. But if you don't try, if you don't diligently say, Holy Spirit, I want you to speak to me. I wanna learn how this works because we call this time, you'll hear it a lot, a laboratory. A laboratory. This is where we practice because I just delivered a great biology lesson for you, okay? But until you start dissecting the frog, it doesn't make sense. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be because the gifts of the Spirit, were, the manifestations of the Spirit are not so we could have a good time, get goosebumps and go home. Woo, fired up, hallelujah. Nope. It's so that the people out there that don't know him could, could experience him this week. And I have nothing against goosebumps and having a good time in a worship service, but if it doesn't change the life of someone I encounter this week, then I don't have time for it. And that's the power of God in our lives. So let's stand together. We did things backwards today because this was the, this was the teaching. But now it's time for us to say, Holy Spirit, we're just gonna take the last 30 minutes that we're here we're going to worship you, we're going to sing to you, and we're going to make ourselves available to you. If you want us to pray for someone or to minister to someone or maybe share a word, today I'm the ministry moments person. So for us, that means if you have any question and you're like, I think the Holy Spirit is trying to show me something, but I don't understand it, I'll be right there. You come, we'll have a conversation, we'll figure it out together. I don't have all the answers, but we'll work on it together. Our prayer team is going to be here in the front. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you want to walk in a greater filling of the manifestations of the Spirit, you just want prayer for anything, we're here. And so let's just take the next few moments. Lunch is being prepared. We don't have to hurry. We can just take these 25 minutes and give ourselves fully to the Lord. And I want to encourage you as I pray right now, if you're available for whatever the Holy Spirit wants, just put your hands out like this. This says, Holy Spirit, I'm a vessel. I'm a vessel. I'm a conduit for you. I want you, not just in this room today, but all week long. God, there are people I work with. There are people that are in my neighborhood. There are people at the store that I'm going to have conversations with. God, many of them don't know you, and they need to experience you. And the only way you're going to be manifest in that place is, is if I carry you there and I make myself available for you to show up in that conversation, for you to show up in that moment. And so, Holy Spirit, I want to learn how you speak. I want to learn how you show me how to manifest you in my conversation. I want to learn your voice. And so I'm available right now. As we move into a time of worship, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Show me the things I need to see. Just unlock more understanding in my heart than you ever have before. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.